Welcome to Grassroot Diplomat Talks, the monthly podcast series produced by Grassroot Diplomat, where diplomacy starts with you. I'm Tarleen Rahman Figueroa, CEO of Grassroot Diplomat, and I will be your host. As someone working in diplomacy from a more grassroots angle, I couldn't help but look into the relationship with our identities and how this ties into our movement around the world. And it made me want to talk about this thing called passport privilege, or rather, consider whether having a passport is actually a privilege as defined by governments or a right as defined by ordinary citizens. From assisting citizens with lost or stolen passports to issuing out visas for travel, embassies and consulates spend a considerable amount of time in the administration of passports, visas and other identity documents. So when talking about identity, a passport is one of the most important incredible piece of document for a citizen to obtain particularly in quickly establishing who they are and where they're from. It can be easy to underestimate just how powerful our passport is. Recognised globally, a passport is a rite of passage for citizens to travel outside of their national borders, whilst also gaining protection liberties guaranteed by the national government. In short, your passport is your proof of citizenship. This means gaining access to security, employment, health and education, which goes far beyond the right to travel just for business or pleasure. However, the right to such freedoms does come at a price, and the cost of such freedom depends on national laws and the strength of diplomatic relations and security between our countries. When browsing through consular information that reference passport services, the word privilege shows up quite often in their communication. The right to travel is seen as a source of privilege that needs to be legally obtained and something that is often echoed by governments worldwide. But having a passport doesn't necessarily mean getting the same access to travel like everyone else. When your passport is tied to your nationality and bloodline, such rights becomes watered down and the term privilege becomes much more relevant. When the decision for Britain to leave the European Union was made true in 2016, Ireland experienced a record-breaking number of Irish passports issued to almost 20% of total application received from Irish citizens in Great Britain. The Department of Foreign Affairs in Dublin said that more than 779,000 people of the Republic's identity papers were issued in 2017. It was claimed that people born in Northern Ireland who carry Irish passports could have more rights after Brexit than those who carry British passports. People born in Northern Ireland have an automatic right to Irish citizenship, while British people with an Irish parent or grandparent also have an automatic right to become Irish citizens. About a quarter of the British population identify as Irish, according to the 2011 census. And applications for further Irish passports is of course likely to rise over the coming months. Blood ties required for citizenship is not an unusual circumstance. Cyprus, for example, also requires one of your parents to be a citizen to gain automatic citizenship at birth. In Lebanon, Citizenship is passed through the father, so the children have no rights to acquire citizenship from their mothers or men from their Lebanese wives. Legal experts are starting to refer to such people as a stateless generation, where children born abroad by foreign parents do not necessarily have citizenship and access to a passport. A story was recently shared in the Guardian newspaper, where a single mother who fled from Syria gave birth to her daughter in Germany. Unfortunately, under Syrian law, A child can only inherit nationality from its father and in Germany there is no automatic German citizenship even if you're born inland. 
Most European countries like Germany and Ireland tie nationality to the right of blood, which means that citizenship is not automatically granted to children born on the soil unless they are originally from that country by blood. Now, this poses a massive problem for refugees fleeing from persecution into European soil. A problem worsens when refugees who once had passport identifications is no longer recognised because their original country of citizenship changes because of politics and war. This was the case for citizens of former Yugoslavia, which was broken into six republic after the Second World War, and these countries are now known as Bosnia-Herzegovina, Croatia, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia and Slovenia respectively. In Italy, some of these refugees settled in informal camps and lived undocumented in the country for years without any legal rights. A lack of a passport has meant that such stateless people can't legally work, graduate from school, open bank accounts or have access to healthcare. According to the United Nations, at least 10 million people globally don't have citizenship of any country, which denies them access to such basic rights. So if your passport is your identity, then having a passport goes far beyond just the right to travel. Being stateless and undocumented also reinforces societal exclusion within the country itself. When you have no legal way to earn a living, such people will have no choice but to turn to a more criminal activity to support themselves and therefore unable to fully integrate into society. It is also possible that many people are not aware that they are stateless until they try to cross borders or move into adulthood. With very few exceptions, statelessness determination procedures puts a great deal of burden on applicants who have to show proof that they aren't citizens of any other country at all where they have family or habitual ties. Very few embassies issue documents confirming that someone isn't a citizen and unfortunately this is common diplomatic practice. Absurdly, the British government even listed current passport as one of the documents required for a stateless application. So proving that you are stateless is a bureaucratic nightmare, not just for embassies, but for the people seeking such status. A lot of politics can also be involved in the naturalisation process, many of which has become an issue of ethics for applicants. For example, when Latvia became independent in 1990, those who could trace back their family ties before Soviet occupation were only granted citizenship. This left more than 730,000 people unaccounted for without citizenship. Without Latvian citizenship, many people were unable to travel within Europe without the need for a visa, and there were even cases where applicants refused naturalisation as they didn't want to recognise Russian as Latvia's official language. For refugees, a lack of passport becomes infinitely more difficult to help integrate them into their new life. In most cases, refugees are fleeing from persecution, conflict or violence from their own country so they can no longer rely on their authorities to support them. And even so, contacting the government could be entirely life-threatening. Under these circumstances, refugees and stateless persons have to rely on their host country for support by providing them with the right to a convention travel document, which was recognised by the 1951 Refugee Convention and the 1954 Statelessness Convention but it isn't as easy and as clear-cut as that. According to the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, as many as 41% of world's refugees have no means to legally travel abroad, even for medical care or short visits, and are therefore forced to travel illegally without any rights at all. To rectify this, the UNHCR's Executive Committee recently adopted the first Conclusion on Machine-Readable Travel Documents for Refugees and Stateless Persons, 
which puts an obligation on states to recognize such documents as it has enhanced security features and therefore helped such people at border control points to pass safely through. The UNHCR has plenty of examples of how travel documents can make a very real and very tangible difference to individual holding it. For some, having a passport makes a difference between life or death. For others, a passport reunites them with their loved ones or have opportunities to life-saving medical treatment. And in more extraordinary circumstances, a passport means traveling to the Olympic Games and being the world's first refugee team. So we talked about the two extreme cases where one requires blood ties to gain access to citizenship and passport and the other being those who have fled their countries and becoming stateless. But what about the rest of us? What about those who have passports and the freedom to travel? What does having a passport mean to us and is our rights equal to each other respectively? Interestingly, a firm called Henley and Partners, who are described as the global leader in residence and citizenship planning, compiled a global index of passport power in reference to external value of nationality, settlement freedom and travel freedom. Known as the Henley Passport Index, the data ranks the quality of nationalities worldwide, exploring internal factors such as human development, economic strength and peace and stability, as well as external forces, including work abroad, ability to settle and visa-free travel. According to the index, Japanese citizens hold the most powerful passport in the world, giving them visa-free access to 189 countries out of 218. Amazing. Germany and Singapore have both ranked joint second with France, Italy, Spain, Denmark, Sweden and Korea ranked third place. Nearly half of the countries with the least powerful passports are actually from the Middle East, with Afghanistan and Iraq joining last place. And that's not surprising. As a consequence, their citizens can only enter 30 countries without a visa, just behind Syria and Somalia. And while we are talking about visa-free travel, interestingly, in 2016, after the Brexit referendum, the African Union launched the Africa passport to enable African heads of states, foreign affairs ministers and top diplomats the right to visa-free access to all 54 member states in Africa. While there is no definite timeline when such privilege will actually extend to ordinary citizens, it is definitely an exciting new endeavour for the continent. Even if a passport is the property of the government, a passport should be a right for every citizen and not a privilege, even if an individual is stateless. Embassies and diplomats have immense power in changing the life of an individual and we need to look into ways to provide documentation in assisting those who are described as stateless. The power of empathy and the protection of all people should always come first, especially if it means giving an individual basic rights that allows them to live and survive. You have been listening to Grassroot Diplomat Talks. Join us again next month to discuss the practices of diplomacy and I hope you will consider joining our organisation. Add your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash grassrootdiplomat as well as Twitter and Instagram. Our social media handle is at grdiplomat. For further information, please visit www.grassrootdiplomat.org. I am Tarleen and we look forward to speaking with you soon.